0: We have to find ways to center our happiness, and women are not taught to center our happiness. We are taught that life is miserable, and that our happiness is frivolous, and that we have to throw ourselves onto the pyre of marriage and motherhood. And I'm saying, take yourself down off that cross, because we need the wood.
1: You're listening to Burt Toast. I'm Virginia Solsmith. Today, my guest is my good friend, Liz Lett. Liz is a journalist living in Iowa. She is the writer behind the newsletter Men Yell at Me and author of the brand new book This American Ex-Wife. I was really excited to read an early copy of This American Ex-Wife, and here's what I wrote in my blurb. In this brave, brilliant, impeccably researched book, Liz Lenz offers us a clear solution to the systemic inequalities within the institution of marriage, and it's far more liberating than I ever imagined. As you can imagine, Liz's work has been really important to me personally in the last year. I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you wherever you are in the spectrum of married, unmarried, partnered, not partnered, divorced, divorce curious. I think you will get a lot out of this. So here's Liz, but first a quick break. If you love the conversation you hear today, I hope you will order Liz Lens' new book, This American Ex-Wife. And I hope you'll order it from the Burnt Toast Bookshop. The Burnt Toast Bookshop is hosted on the website of my local independent bookstore, Split Rock Books. Split Rock is owned by a cat named Georgie and my good friends Heidi and Michael Bender. And they are delighted to forever offer 10% off any book featured on the Burnt Toast podcast if you also purchase or have purchased a copy of Fat Talk from them. So, that list includes all of Liz's books, as well as books by Angela Garbez, Aubrey Gordon, Vashti Harrison, and so many more. Just go to splitrockbks.com and use the code FATTALK at checkout. Thank you so much for supporting independent body liberation journalism and independent bookstores. I have a listener question that I thought was just like the perfect kickoff. Perfect. So, this person says, Is there such a thing as a good marriage that lasts a lifetime or should we rethink the whole institution?
0: Wow, really just getting right to the heart of it. So I think there's a couple like assumptions baked into that question, right? Like, One, that a good marriage lasts a lifetime. Mm. And I think that there are a lot of good relationships that do not last a lifetime. And I don't think it's always just about divorce. Like, life is full of complications. Like, there's tragedy, you know, there's just so much we can't control. And so I think having this idea in your head of a good marriage lasts for your entire life is really limiting and really puts us in places where we don't want to be, right? Where you're just like holding on to something that no longer serves you because you have this idea of what life is supposed to be. What I think we need to do is reframe what our idea of a successful relationship looks like. The other part of this question, that I wanted to, like, tease out is that, yes, we should rethink the institution of marriage and not just its longevity. Like, we need to rethink, like, the way in which we personally practice marriage and the way in which like societally we enforce marriage and the rules of marriage right because you can be two very fair egalitarian loving people going into a union you get married and five years down the road you have two little kids and you're wondering where all that equality went. And it didn't leave for lack of trying. It left for lack of societal support. It left because You were not getting paid as much as your husband. Well, that's a huge problem. And like America was closing that wage gap and we petered out around 2008. And now it's just like bad and we haven't made any gains on that. You know, childcare is unaffordable, right? So like you then take on this burden. It's really hard to rethink like, who does the grocery shopping, who washes the floors, who does the laundry. And these are just the tiny little things where you compromise and you compromise and you compromise. And then all of a sudden you're at a place where you're waking up one morning and you're like, I thought I married a feminist. You're like, we thought we were going to be so equal and we couldn't. And it's the way that we've constructed marriage as a society. And I think it's important to just reframe your idea of what does success look like? Like, I think like this question asked should say like, what a successful life looks like for me is my Mm -hmm. happiness, right? Center Mm -hmm. your happiness because we have no guarantees in this life, right? Like you can be in love with somebody they can leave. You can't control that, right? You have to say, what does a good, happy, successful life look like to me, knowing that there are variables in this world that I cannot control? And so what I'm asking women specifically to do is to center their happiness and to center their success in a way that is radical and probably going to be deeply destabilizing for their relationships.
1: To your point about the systemic structures that are in place that make this such an impossible project. I was texting with our mutual friend, Sarah Peterson, right before I got on with you. She was sending me screenshots of registering her youngest for kindergarten. And there's only one spot on the form to put down a parent's name. Mm -hmm. And she was like, so if I don't even list the dad, like, That means the dad's never going to get called when the kid is sick. That means all the school communication, like, it's just built right in, right? Mm -hmm. That, like, there's a default assumption of who's doing this labor and this mental load. Mm -hmm. There was a study that I saw where researchers were, like,
0: having a male figure email the school for a time to, like, talk about their kid. And every time they would email back and, like, oh, and the email would say something like, You know, I am available at this time. And if you can't make those times, then like my wife is available. And every time they'd be like, okay, well, we'll have your wife come in. Like, and it was just like, even when the fathers were taking initiative, the bias of the people on the other end was to always prefer the mother. And you know, I'm never going to go easy on a guy in any situation, but it's also like <laughs> the deck stacked against these guys who's like, yeah. maybe they do want to take paternity leave. You know, maybe they do want to be the primary care parent. Like having my kids at school, we have to keep saying like, there are two households. You need to communicate with both of us, right? Like, oh my God. if you send yeah. home a form, like we need copy, or just like send it in an email. Like, this isn't that hard, and
1: like we should have gotten it by now. Yes, oh
0: they just like get so flustered when you're like talk to both of us. We are both the parents. We're both doing this. yes, and yeah. we're split up, so we're not in the same house, and we do communicate pretty well about school stuff but a form had gone to his house and he hadn't seen it I mean god bless it was my 10 year old son so there's a little bit of chaos involved there but like had gone to my ex's house none of us had seen this form until my 10 year old's like oh in three days I have this project to we're just like okay great you know like 10 year olds need to you know step up this is the time to learn but it's also just one of those things where it's just like
1: okay oh It is so real. No, divorce mental load is on my list for us to talk about. Do you want to talk about it? I'm so ready to talk about divorce mental load. I need to vent for a second, which is about our school district's bus department. So my kid's dad lives on the same street as me now. We bought houses. Well, I was already in our house and he just bought a house a few doors down, which is in theory the dream joint custody scenario. But getting the bus to understand that it's going to stop at two places, like on some days you're going to stop here and on some days you're going to stop here, I have resorted to putting a color-coded tag on my six-year-old that says mom or dad. <laughs> like I'm labeling on her backpack, not on her. But like that is the only way I can ensure because the guy who runs the best system was like, your custody schedule is really complicated for us. Do you think you could simplify it? And I was like, no, I'm not going to change my custody schedule to make the director of transportation's life easier.
0: It's just like, have you never heard of people splitting up before? So another like divorce mental thing is like, I every year at the beginning of the school year, I sit down, I take a day because I am not good at scheduling. My mind is not an organized mind. This is like, I have had to learn because I am a woman, right? So I have to learn how to be organized. It is expected of me to have these skills. I love it when men are like, well, I'm just not good at it. And I like, I twitch. I'm like, (laughs) me
1: either, bro. Must be nice to have that option.
0: I would love to suck at something. This is my goal for the future is to Be more incompetent. But I have to take a whole day, sometimes two days, and just sit down before the school year starts. And sometime in July, too, because I have to get it done early. But I Mm -hmm. sit down and I organize sports schedules, music schedules, schools, the whole school schedule into the calendar, right? And, like, my daughter is a sports girl. So I get all the swim meets, tentative and non-tentative, in the calendar, right? I get that updated practice schedule on the calendar. I coordinate with... The kids love their music lessons and like can't quit them. And so we have piano and then drums and clarinet, right? And so it's just like, it's like all of these things. And I sit down and I do it. It That makes me resentful because I was like, we split up because I was sick of doing all the work. And here I am, I have to take off two days to focus on this. I don't get paid for this and I have to do it. But... I mean, I'd so much rather have this than anything else. Like following up, like every year we go to the school open house and every year I look the teacher's dead ass in the eyes and I go, we are divorced. We need two copies Mm
1: -hmm. of what
0: you are handing out to us.
1: Everything, yeah. So it doesn't end, but at least I can sleep alone. Really what we're saying is it's just an extension of the way the system of marriage is built on the premise that the wife will do all the work. And so there is really no system of divorce, right? There is no way in which our systems are built for divorced families Other than to continue to assume (laughs) that the wife will do all the
0: work. Divorce has been around, I mean, since the foundation of America. If you read my book, This American Ex-Wife, you will see it's literally baked into our foundation. It's so funny. I'll do this little aside because I loved this tidbit, but like... Thomas Jefferson actually like was writing this brief in defense of a divorce and he was basically saying like we founded this country on liberty for all so we should have the liberty to leave marriages except dee, 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 it was Thomas Jefferson so he was like but the man gets the liberty <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was like seeing this in this book that I was reading and I was like, whoa, Thomas, like, thank you. And then he was actually like, a man has the liberty to leave his marriage if his wife is not putting out for him, basically. So I was like, oh, there it is. But yeah, I mean, like Seneca Falls, women were just like, hey, by the way, you found a country and freedom and independence. And then you get mad when we say we want freedom and independence. Like hell yeah, sisters. But yeah, like divorce has been around. So you'd think we would figure it out, but we're not going to figure it out because that would require like respecting women's autonomy.
1: And yeah, as you're saying, as I also want to say so clearly, like divorce is better for you. Divorce has been so much better for me. It is better for every woman we know who has gotten divorced. And when I read your book, what I kept thinking about is how There have been so many books about mom rage, right? Like, why are women so angry? Why are mothers so angry? And I am honestly really over that genre, not to criticize those authors who I think are doing really meaningful work, but I was talking to another divorced friend about this. When we talk about mom rage, we usually mean marriage rage, Mm -hmm. and women are miserable and overburdened in marriages because of how marriage is designed to fail us. And because so many heterosexual men are comfortable with that dynamic. And I just love that your book gives us a hopeful alternative.
0: It reminds me of something I once read that was about like, again, about this like genre of like unsatisfied housewife. It was just like, you know, they can dress up their rage, they can dress up their anxiety, they can put little frills and bows on it, but it never goes anywhere. You just have to live with it. And there's part of me that worries about, and I know this isn't the end goal of a lot of these projects but worries about like normalizing so sure you're mad but you don't go anywhere you don't change anything and like and what do we get mad at I mean we need to get mad at the system that's oppressing us but also I was talking to a friend the other day who was like well, you know, my job is just so hard to do with three kids. And so I'm really angry at my job. And I was like, why is it hard for your husband to do his job with three kids? Mm -hmm. Why? Why is it not hard for him? And like, it's easier to take that rage and channel it to things that we cannot change because I think we're really afraid of what it would look like, like what that other side would look like. I think deep down inside, we know what's going to break our relationships. Let's be mad at what deserves our rage. It's this system that's oppressing us. Like, it's mm-hmm. not your job because your partner has a job and he can do it. Get mad at the yeah. person who's not wiping the counters. But it's exhausting, right? You're like, oh, I love yeah. him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love you so much. I mean, we get that people love their husbands.
0: I mean, do we? We we hear you. I mean, but... it's a concept that intellectually I grasp, yes. Right.
1: <laughs> We're just suggesting that building your entire life's happiness based on the premise of romantic love is a shaky business. It's a
0: shaky business at best. And then, People will say like, well, he is a good man and I'll never find anything better. One of the reasons I wanted to write this book is to say you are that something better. And even if you are in a good relationship, you have to be that something better. Because again, you do not know what is going to happen, right? Like he could Charles Lindbergh you and like have a second family in Germany or God forbid, die in a car accident, right? So like Mm -hmm. we have to find ways to center our happiness. And women are not taught to center our happiness. We are taught that life is miserable and that our happiness is frivolous and that we have to throw ourselves onto the pyre of marriage and motherhood. And I'm saying, take yourself down off that cross
1: because we need the wood. Another listener question that dovetails beautifully with that is someone said, How do you know when it's time to give up versus continue trying to work on or salvage a relationship? And I think that's really embedded in this like, but I love him, but he's a good man, but we've been together so long. If anyone has ever
0: been divorced in Virginia, you can give me an amen on this. The moment you tell people you're getting divorced, women, crawl out of the woodwork to whisper into your ears, your emails, your DMs. You don't have to be like, I I think people might think like, oh, you're a famous I'm not a famous writer, but I am a writer, right? Like, like, like prominence. No, like I say regionally notorious, right? So (laughs) like you are prominently divorced. Like you can just be like Joe Schmo, get divorced. And women will be like, how do you know? How did you know? What did you do? How did you know? And two things. I think if you're asking that question, it's time it's time. When somebody's asking that question, I know they're in that place where they're looking at other marriages and other divorces and they're saying, well, my husband's not that bad. Like, so I can put up with this or like, well, he didn't cheat on me. He didn't hit me. Like he just doesn't wipe the counters and thinks my writing is ridiculous. And this is where I want to reframe this as He doesn't have to be a villain for you to be unhappy. And why do you want to be in a situation where you're unhappy and you're trying so hard to be happy and he doesn't care? And then the other thing that I think is really important is like, how do you know when to go? I I remember being in this place where, and I write about this in the book, where I was evaluating my marriage against like Shirley Jackson's marriage, which was famously very miserable. And I was like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Like, And my dear friend, Anna, was like, hey, so that's not the bar. Your life is not a game of chicken. You do not have to wait for someone else to blink first. That your happiness is enough. You don't have to justify it. You can just say, I am deeply unhappy. I have been trying to be happy. I have been trying to work with you. And it's not working. And I would like to try something else now because if we've learned one thing from 2020, it's that we only have like one wild and precious life. And why do you want to spend it training a grown man like a golden retriever to care about you? Sorry. Got a little excited. I'll amen that. So that's just my answer. Your life is not a game of chicken. You're unhappy. That's enough. And also women are so good at like downplaying their unhappiness or their happiness that like if somebody is saying that, they're not like being frivolous.
1: Right. I think for me, what it took was getting clear on exactly what you're saying, getting clear on what I wanted, on what a happy life looked like to me. And realizing how many of the the things I wanted I had and that the marriage was not supporting that happiness. Like it was no longer the contributing or defining factor of the happiness that we had run our course. The happy life I was envisioning for myself didn't have to include him or didn't have to include being married, period. Mm -hmm. And I think so that how do you know when it's time For someone who's, like, thinking that and maybe, like, still really scared to hear that answer, starting from this place you're saying of, like, what does happiness look like for me? What does a happy life look like for me? It might be a really useful kind of Mm -hmm. exercise or work to do in therapy or whatever, because the clearer I got on that, the more I knew it was time. I started
0: making a list in that last very hard year of our marriage every time we fought you know, I'd write what it was about. And I remember sometime after doing this for a couple months and I was trying to like, write my first book and research it. And so when I'd have these precious moments to myself, because my kids were still very little then. And when I'd have like a moment to breathe, my mind would just be filled with my fears and anxieties about my personal life. And I was like, in order to get my book done, in order to achieve my dream, I have to find some peace. And so the list became a way of like, I just set a little timer, 15 minutes, journal, 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 type, 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 close it it to work. And when I went back and looked at that list, it was so damning because we are so good at gaslighting ourselves. We're so good at forgetting. We're so good at believing we're the bad guy, right? Or like, we're just not trying hard enough or something. And I think there was part of me that was like, oh, well, I'm just angry and I'm just overreacting I'm tired I'm a mother like I have children I'm just not my best self and then I look back at that list and it was damning and there was also something where you know I got a new therapist and she was like you have to understand that he may never change yeah and are you going to be happy if he never changes
1: Because we can't make other people change. No, you
0: cannot control other people. And so she was just like, are you okay with doing this for the rest of your life? And I was not. I was not okay. But that reality didn't sink in until I had a real clear moment of, Mm -hmm. oh, she's right. It will never end. And I need to either be okay or walk. So I walked.
1: I was just thinking about what you just said about like thinking, oh, well, it's because I'm a mom and the kids are so much work. I feel like the kids get a lot of blame, just like you were saying, it's not the job, like it's not the kids necessarily. Like not to say parenting isn't a very all consuming, like physical demanding job. It is. It's a lot of labor. But again, when you're feeling overburdened by motherhood, is it the children or is it the lack of the functional partner? Something i muse on a lot with that whole mom rage concept. I felt, and I've
0: talked to other women, this is very anecdotal, we all feel like we became better parents once we became single parents because we were happier. It's easier to parent when you're happy. And I didn't feel like I had to be a buffer between my children and another person. I finally got time to myself so I could be a full human. I didn't have to worry about somebody getting angry because... The kids and I watched a TV show where there were swear words, just for a little example. I'm sure we all have our Mm -hmm. own personal examples of that, where it was just like, I finally just felt like I could be myself and parenting just became so much, you know, we could just like play on the floor and dinner didn't have to be done because you and kids you don't really care if like dinner's a three-course meal or not you just want some cheese cubes and like to build a (laughs) couch for right like that's all i want i'm like hit me up with some chicken nuggets like
1: (laughs) a dr pepper no i see that so much and i mean i'm probably the person who cared more about dinner in my marriage (laughs) for so many reasons But I definitely noticed, and this is not to say, you know, like, we're still in the first year of it. There's a lot my kids are processing and having feelings about as well they should, about their lives changing. But there is an ease to our relationship now. There is a new closeness. And I know their dad feels it, too, which is also kind of cool. Like, he's getting to parent in a different way, too, because our stuff is no longer getting in the way of how we relate to our kids. Mm. And it is such a relief. I'm getting a lot of joy out of my daughters now that I wasn't always letting myself have in the past. And I think there's something I
0: hear from women, like this lament, like you lose time with your kids. And I felt that because I was like very much the primary caretaker. And then there was some point early divorce I'm the second oldest of eight kids, and then I lived in a dorm room with a bunch of women in college, and then I was an RA, and then I got married. Like, I didn't know how to be alone. I didn't know how to (laughs) not take care of someone. I'm like, what do I do if I'm not changing a diaper? I didn't know how to, like, not take care of someone. And then I was, like, all of a sudden had alone time, and I was like, I'm missing crucial time with my children. If I'm not there, you know, like, what will they do without their mother? And then I heard an interview with Maria Shriver who had just gone through a divorce where she was just like, my kids deserve a relationship with their father. And that really clicked something into place for me. And I stopped seeing my time with my kids as a zero sum equation. And we do this to mothers in order to trap them into marriage where it's just like, if you're not with your child all the time, then you're a terrible person. And it's like, that is really unsustainable. And I thought about my own relationship with my own father. And I was like, wow, I wish I had that unmediated relationship with him. He mm-hmm. has God bless all of our fathers. He is not a perfect man. He is complicated, but I still love him. And I still wish I had, even now, still wish I would be able to have that kind of relationship with him that wasn't always like Mm -hmm. managed, you know? And so I think with my kids, you know, I just remind them like, he loves you and you get a relationship with him. And I think that that's a gift. It's a real gift.
1: I mean, I really had to grieve the idea that I wouldn't live with my kids full time. I do want to hold space for that for anyone. It's a huge, it feels so hard. And it feels like,
0: it's like your significance, you know? It's like my significance is bearing witness to, like, the little things for these little people. And if I don't get those moments, then I am less somehow. Or that's how it felt to me. I'm not trying to project on anyone else.
1: Yeah, I think it was a little bit of that. I think also, you know, like, my older daughter had a lot of health issues when she was little. So I think I feel a lot of anxiety about time with her being very precious in particular. Mm -hmm. I, like, lost her early infancy to hospital beds. This felt like another loss. And that's real. And, you know for anyone who's dealt with that, like, I'm with you. That's a valid thing. But again, seeing the quality of my time change with them for the better, yes, that did a lot to make me realize, like, that really helps. And the time to myself, yes. absolutely. Like, the fact that I have time to be Virginia, own person, separate from mom, you know, all of that is really helpful. So it's a process. It looks different for everyone. It's like there's the grief and there's then all this, still being so much better than you could have imagined piece. That's just like a lot. It's a mindfuck. It
0: is. And I didn't go into divorce being like, it's going to be great on the other side. Look at all these cultural depictions of single mothers that make it look <laughs> so, so many desirable. Narratives yeah. I can choose from. <laughs> right. Like every narrative, it feels like of like a single mom is she's just like, kind of sweaty and desperate and wears a lot of jorts and is probably waitressing and she just wants a man to come help her Mm -hmm. out. You know, and I had to just like remind myself a lot where I was like, when you had a man, he was
1: not helping out. So I was (laughs) like, just let it go. Another question from a listener that I think is a really good one. This person says, when it clicked that divorce was inevitable, what was the strongest emotion and was there any relief? Oh, it was all relief because I'd been holding so
0: fast to something and I, it's so amazing to talk to women because nine times out of ten when you say to a divorced woman when did you know it was time to go they'll tell you a time three years before they actually left
1: mm. they'll be
0: like there was this moment when I knew but that's not when I left right like right. and so then you think like how long have we just been holding and trying and working and working and working and then when you finally blink when you finally say okay I can't you let it go it's just this surge of relief and we had I think this happens to a lot of people Where like from the time I asked for the divorce to the time we moved out was like four months that's the rough time and Virginia knows she's heard me say this to other women before that this is the hard time you'll get through it it's going to be good at the end but this is the time where it sucks but like I had such a sense of relief and my ex really didn't want the divorce until he was working to try and convince me that it was a bad idea. But the sense of relief that I had was when I had finally just called it was so palpable and so like, I just felt I could finally sleep at night that I, mm-hmm. there was going to be no way that I was ever going to reconsider. Relief of feeling like, like something had just been taken off of my shoulders, I didn't even know I was carrying. And it was the patriarchy
1: this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time. I think I also experienced mostly relief. And one other thing I want to say I think well, this was true for me, and I'm curious to hear if it was true for you or if in your reporting you feel like it's common. I realized afterwards all that time when I was like fighting it and trying to make things work and no, this isn't what we want. Da, 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 All of that was me grieving the relationship. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people in my life were like kind of shocked that by the time they heard, like even people who'd known some stuff was going on, like when they saw me a month later after it was decided, I was like suddenly doing really well. And they were like, are you not processing your grief? Are you (laughs) hiding your feelings? Like, I think there was a sense of like, are you in denial about how hard this is? And I was like, no, I did that already. Like I did that work. And now I'm ready for it to be good.
0: I don't know if this is true for everybody, but like when you finally call it quits, you've been going through it for so long that that ending just feels almost like a joy and, you know, a. All my good friends are divorced women. And I think they would all say the same by the time you finally get there, by the time you finally call it. It's just like, yeah, I've grieved. I've held so many things back.
1: I think it probably looks different from everyone, but I do think the relief being the biggest emotion is a pretty universal experience. And if you get to the other side and realize you actually feel mostly joy, it probably just means you did the work already and it's good for you. I don't think there's like a
0: right way to feel about these things, right? I think it's really destabilizing for the people around you Mm -hmm. to see how happy you can be on the other side Mm -hmm. of a marriage. And I think especially for your friends who are still really invested in their marriages, that can be really, really destabilizing. And they want you to be sad. (laughs) They do not want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. And not because they don't want you to be happy, but because, like, this is a deeply personal narrative that we get really invested in and then to see someone be like actually no thank you I don't want it and I'm truly joyful with myself and my singleness on the other side I think this is one of the reasons like people don't like single people right like right. why we find that's so destabilizing and yes yeah, like I've, I've invested 12 years of my life into this man and you're saying I wasted my time maybe <laughs> I'm saying I'm not
1: wasting my time anymore.
0: I'm not wasting my time anymore. And if it's like, if that makes you uncomfortable, you might want to reflect on why that makes you feel uncomfortable.
1: And I think it's that sort of comparison shopping thing we were talking about where women are sort of, you know, they're wanting to know, okay, what went wrong for you? So I can reassure myself my situation's not that bad. There's a lot of notes comparison that goes on. Mm -hmm. And then, your happiness on the other side if they're adding up the columns and being like wait but I'm deciding I should stay they don't know how to balance that you know I get it I was there like I get it I think one of the reasons that
0: I really wanted to write the book in the way that I did was because it is a real personal place of where politics hits our personhood in a way that is really hard to untangle, you know, because marriage is a legal system. It is a political system. We use it for our tax base, right? There's a whole genre, a political guy out there who says instead of funding the social safety net, we support marriages. Instead of giving kids free school lunches, we just make sure moms stay home more. Like this is public policy from Jimmy Carter to Bill Clinton, to God bless us all, Barack Obama to you know, well George Bush. Let's just stop there. It's used as a system of social order, but it's also personal. We love people, right? We want relationship, and so it's a mm-hmm. way that like. The political has become entangled into the personal. And Mm -hmm. I think like it's worth reflecting on like where that actually meets our oppression and what works for our liberation. And there is a class of person for whom it works. Upper middle class white ladies, like, let me talk to my people here. You might be like, well, my marriage works for me, right? Like I have a nice house. Like maybe he's not the best partner, but like economically I'm fine. Great, 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 great. Cool, 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 cool. It's intersectional, bitches. Think about, like, who's excluded from this, right? Like, historically, Black women are excluded because they're, I mean, well, slavery, but, like, couldn't have relationships or marriages for a very long time outside of the law. And then when that became legalized, even Sojourner Truth was like, hey, we're emancipated. Maybe let's not get married because it seems like another form of enslavement. So like when we think about who gets to keep a marriage and who doesn't, who gets access to marriage and who doesn't, it's mm-hmm. cut along the same race, class, you know, divides as Everything else, and we want to pretend it's just this little like bootstrappy thing. You slap on enough lipstick, hit the right dating app. Anybody can get married, and that's just not true. It should not be a social solution. But also, I think we really need to interrogate personally. Like, also, like, what makes your marriage work? Is it because you yeah. have a housekeeper?
1: You can afford a nanny.
0: You can afford the nanny. Is that why your marriage is work? I mean. I had a housekeeper, right? Like that helped my marriage. And that's just like these little Rube Goldbergian contraptions that we like rely on or someone else's underpaid or unpaid labor to like compensate for our own misery. Mm -hmm. I just think it's like worth reflecting on and realizing that it's just not a great system.
1: You can outsource a lot of it and that can enable you to function for a long time, but it doesn't mean the marriage or marriage as a system is functioning and benefiting women
0: it might be easier for you to save money in the long term, but like, you know, I don't know. Is that worth your freedom? Is that worth giving up your career dreams and hopes? I don't think so. And I make the argument, you know, in the book, there's that line from Cruella de Vil in the remake, 101 Dalmatians, Glenn Close, right. where she is just like, you know, more women have been lost in marriage than like war and disease. And it's just like, She's right. But they have to put that in the mouth of the villain so it's easier of to course. dismiss. But it's just like Cruella was on to something.
1: She was on to something. Yeah.
0: Not the skinning the dogs. Not the part. puppy slaughtering. Yeah. You don't
1: have to email us. You don't. Yeah. She did have good styles.
0: I have two dogs. I'm very pro. We love with our dogs. dogs. I am anti skinning dogs. Just put that out <laughs> to just tell the people. <laughs>
1: All right. I want to run through a couple last yes. listener questions because this is some like nuts and bolts stuff that yes. I think folks will find really useful. What helped in the early days of separation? Any resources to recommend? So uh, if you can't
0: afford a good therapist, I would recommend finding one just for you. If your therapist became the couple's therapist, get a new person.
1: You need your own person. You need yeah. your
0: own person in your corner. And any good therapist would also give you the same advice. Get your own therapist if you can afford one. If not... Tell your friends what you need. It is so hard to ask for what we need. And I think there were some early days where I was lonely. And I was texting my two best friends who live far away from me. And I was just like, I don't miss my specific husband. I was like, but I miss having someone. And my friend Anna, Anna, always showing up with the good clips. She was like, literally, why? And I was like, well, okay, I'll tell you. I'll just miss somebody having dinner with me. She's like, listen, your ex was not good at being a conversationalist when you had dinner together. So she's like, why don't you just ask your friends? Yeah. And so I did. I had to be vulnerable with my friends because people don't know what you need. I had to say, hey, guys, I really could use somebody having lunch or dinner with me once a week on these days Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I could really use somebody coming over and having a glass of wine with me on my patio. Like, does somebody want to go on a walk with me? Like, those were the things that I had to s- ask for. And it really helped. I mean, it helped build community and it helped me make a lot of different types of friends in different walks of life that i thought was really helpful so i think the very specific advice is like especially when we are doing all the labor in a relationship we develop this like sense of hyper-confidence and yeah i can do it all i can do everything don't you don't have to you can just ask for help I remember going to my therapist's office one day. I couldn't fix this lawnmower that I had in this house I rented. And I was just crying. I was like, I can't, I'm not an empowered woman. I can't do the less. She was like, ask for help, dumb yeah. dumb. She didn't say dumb dumb, but it was just, she was just like, <laughs> why don't you just, she's like, we're just like, I don't know, 50 bucks post on the Facebook marketplace and ask somebody to come mow the lawn while you just like, Try to figure out the mower. She's like, you do not have to carry this all by yourself. And so those would be the, like, practical things. And I feel like, take up a hobby. That one thing that you always wanted to do. I started stand-up. It's not going to be my career. I just wanted to do something I'd always wanted to do and never had the time to.
1: I also want to say, like, your friends will be so glad you made those specific asks. They will. Like, they want to help, but people don't know how. And that's really great if you're like I would love to have dinner with someone this weekend people are looking for that guy we all
0: want to be asked out on dates by our friends
1: I literally
0: love it when a friend will text me and be like hey can you like grab a drink real quick and I will be like I am there like we all just like (laughs) there's so many people you know you hear it's just like well I just really want to like I don't know how to build community just ask
1: Just ask. I feel like my community ties are so much deeper now. Mm -hmm. And it's because I've had to ask people for help. And it also means I'm more mindful of, like, volunteering to host a play date or, like, do you need me to pick your kid up from this activity that our kids are going to be at? Because, like, I'm sort of aware in the back of my head, like, I'm asking for more favors. So I want to also be helpful where it makes sense that I can be helpful. And I just feel like so much richer all around for it.
0: I feel so much more connected to my community. I go take myself out on a little date to this like restaurant in town that's kind of fancy. I like have made a lot of friends that way, right? Like that's like so the cool. bartenders are my friends, like the restaurant owners are my friends. I think I'm a little bit of like, I think I got like pastor dad energy when I go into a place, <laughs> you know, like a little bit maybe. <laughs>
1: you are very extroverted. My introvert people, listen. we don't yes. have to, we don't have to do that.
0: I'm the only extroverted writer in America. Yes, you are. I am so (laughs) extroverted. It's quite the problem, but I have a great time.
1: Well, to that, another question I have here is, could you talk about how divorced life isn't lonely? And I mean, you mentioned being lonely in the (laughs) early days. But I think this is a big fear that women have that I'll be so alone and miserable. And that has just not been my experience. No, But I didn't know if that was just being a really good introvert. There is a difference between
0: being alone and being lonely. And I think that we all need alone time. For me, I come at this a little bit differently than you introverts. But I really had a hard time being alone with myself. There was a lot about myself I did not like. I didn't want to be with, I didn't want to have to face. And a lot of that was like some past trauma I was repressing. Read my second book, it's in there. And I would go and I talked to my therapist, and she's like, You need to find a way to be comfortable alone and stop filling it with like adopting cats.
1: And- <laughs> Judgment cats are great. Listen,
0: if you need to use a pet or four as an emotional support, that is Mm -hmm. fine. And I'm here to tell you, adopt as many dogs as you need. But that aloneness part of it was really hard for me to grapple with. And then once I did, and I think being alone in pandemic really played a huge role and having to face myself I remember just like a settling and just feeling so peaceful but there's nothing more lonely than sitting on a couch next to the person who's supposed to love you who has nothing to say to you I have never been more lonely than when I was married. And sometimes now that I am not married, I am alone and I'm alone often, but I'm not lonely because I have friends of different ages and different walks and different backgrounds and like somebody's always available. And I have parties at my house where I don't have to worry about stressing out my husband and I can go out to eat and I can take myself out on dates and I can have hobbies and I can do all of these things. And I feel like my life is so much fuller and richer with so many different types of relationships that I didn't have the space for before, because I was like trying so hard to make that heterosexual pact work that I was alienating people, Mm -hmm. right? Because I also Mm -hmm. couldn't be honest about my life while I was still trying to protect that relationship. And so now I just feel like I am often alone, but I'm not ever, ever lonely. Oh God, I love my long walks now with my dog. Where we'll yes. just, like, go walk for miles and miles and I'll listen to an audio book or nothing, you know. And it's just, like, it just feels great. Or those nights where I just, like, make a bowl of pasta, tuck myself into bed at 7 oh, p.m. With a
1: book. With, I
0: love it. Oh, well, I, like, for me, it's true detective and a glass of it's wine. Great. But, like, okay, great. you think you're better than me reading all the time.
1: Well, I mean, it's probably a romance novel. So <laughs> Smut, <laughs> let's go. It's a very spicy... <laughs>
0: I tell this to potential dates all the time. I'm like, the bar for you is not being better than the last shitty guy. The bar for you is being better than me in my bed alone with my vibrator and a glass of wine. I mean, good luck to you, sir. Because that's a great night. And then I fall asleep early. Oh, my God. Turn on the green noise on my
1: little Calm app. And there's like a baby. It's great. All right. Last question we're going to do is what is something that has been unexpectedly positive after divorce for you? The housework. I thought, single
0: mother, I'll have less time. I'll have less help. Nope. My house is cleaner. My house is still cleaner. I have two dogs. I have an Alaskan Malamute who's 123 pounds. She sheds. She's dirty. My house is still cleaner. The housework is still less, and it's not because like my standards have dropped. My standards have actually gotten higher. Like I did the whole mm. TikTok trend of reorganizing my fridge with all the clear containers because I am easily influenced, mm-hmm. and I was like, on some level, I was like this is crazy and unsustainable. It's not crazy. It's not unsustainable because I'm sustaining yeah. it, and my kids like. It's easy for me to just be like, no, just put it in that container. And then they do. And they don't fight mm-hmm. me on Well, my teen daughter fights me on everything. Well, so it's sure. fine. But That's it's just like, it's her, you know, it's her job. But that was the thing where I just was like, I'm going to be this harried, overworked single mom. And I found out that, like, actually, I have way more free time. The house is cleaner. And, yeah, now <laughs> I have. <laughs> let's get a I third that. dog. Let's get a third dog.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I think you're good good. as your friend I want to say I think you're good on pets (laughs) I think I'm good on pets I really a little bit to the cleaning thing I think I'm unpacking my own Mm -hmm. slightly compulsive tidying tendencies that sometimes creates more work for myself but just having my space be my own was the thing I didn't expect. I already loved my house. I already thought I liked how it looked. But like the joy of like, you know, my kid's dad took a lot of art with him that was like more his taste. And then we have blank walls and what am I going to put on them? And like just putting more pink in rooms has been really thrilling. Like just subtle ways that I'm making it mine. That is my joy. Oh, for sure. I love my bedroom. I love going
0: no. into my bedroom because it's just, yes. it's mine. It feels safe. It feels beautiful. I bought all this yes. like crazy you know, duvet covers and sheets and like all these fancy throw pillows that he would have been like, why? And I do. I make I my bed every day Same. and put the throw Same. pillows on, which I never you did before. For me. Yes. It's a joy. It's a pleasure. It's so it really fun. Is. And I know your listeners can't see this, but like there's a little picture that I got that it's like a woman Ooh. on a steak being burnt at the stake but she's lighting a cigarette into the flames like that's a little (laughs) thing that I got that I never would have been able to spend money on before it's a joy I love it yes making your space your own I love it
1: all right well on that note we should do better other things that are bringing us joy right now Liz what do you have for us
0: okay true detective season four Jodie Foster Kelly Reese She's like a new newer actress. She's so great. She's like a former boxer turned actress. Never Ooh. seen her in anything before. She's now alongside Jodie Foster in True Detective season 4. It's so fun. It's demented. It's everything you want out of a crime drama in the middle of the winter. I'm also really obsessed with the jewelry of Susan Alexandra, who's like this like independent jewelry designer based out of Brooklyn. And I know you're thinking like, Liz, you live in Iowa. What are you doing? I was out in New York one time and a friend had these like really beautiful like shrimp cocktail
1: earrings. Oh, you got this cool necklace. And I
0: looked up her stuff and it's like shockingly affordable. I was like, oh, this is jewelry that I love, it has a sense of humor, is beautiful beautifully designed and well-made and I can afford it. And so I now it. I have like this like fun little Liz necklace that people oh, can't love see, that. but I can send a picture later. But those are two yeah, things we'll I am in. just like obsessed with right now.
1: Those are excellent butters. I'm just going to give a real quick plug for And with full disclosure, I'm only on the first season. I'm late to this game. But the remake of The First Wives Club felt like a very appropriate butter for this episode. Oh, I
0: haven't seen it yet.
1: Well, it's Michelle Buteau, who I love. She's a fat Black comedian and just phenomenally talented. I'm blanking on the names of the other two actresses. But it's, yeah, it's a remake of the 1996 movie featuring three Black women all breaking up with shitty husbands and reclaiming yes. their lives. and. Yeah, I'm like halfway through season one and it is a delight. So Good. I'm hoping it continues to stick the landing. Good. I'll queue it
0: up after I watch Jodie Foster solving this very complicated crime drama in the middle of Alaska.
1: Liz, tell folks where they can find you and how we can support your work. Of course, everyone is going to buy This American Ex-Wife.
0: Buy This American Ex-Wife. You might think it is not for me. Fine, buy it for a friend, but also read it. I've been told it's an easy read.
1: I confirm that.
0: It's propulsive. I confirm. So yes, buy my book, This American Ex-Wife, wherever books are sold. And then I have the newsletter, Men Yell at Me, which you can find by Googling or going to LizLens.com. Those are the places.
1: Always a delight to hang out with you, my fellow American X wave. Thank you. This was a total joy. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. <laughs> Happy to be here. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free on your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. And leave us a rating or review. Those really help folks find the show so we can grow. The Burnt Toast Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia SoulSmith. You can follow me on Instagram at Fee underscore Soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs At Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell, and Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting Anti-Diet Body Liberation Journalism.